You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Good looks are more important to her than to the courtier, for much is lacking to a woman who lacks beauty. I'm TK, your guide to the past as we uncover the people, events, and little-known facts hidden in the shadows of your old history textbooks. From empress baddies to activist profiles, turkey gods and the history of the toothbrush, tattoos, Pompeii peepees, and everything in between, you can find it all here. There's no telling how far we'll dig or how many historical facts we'll re-examine. No event is too small and no topic is too big because this is for the love of history. Welcome, 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 my friend. This is TK, your tour guide to the past, and you are listening to For the Love of History, the podcast where we talk about world history, women's history, and weird history. Now, if today's intro made you as mad as it made me when I read it for the first time, you are in for a real treat today because uh, our episode is full of eye rolls, WTF moments, and why would you do that to your body kind of reactions. <laughs> because today we are talking about weird and dangerous beauty standards throughout history. A topic I love and I cannot wait to tell you about. So grab your curling iron and your favorite lead-based foundation and let's get to it. I love makeup. I love it. Ever since I was a little kid watching my mom put on her very early 90s blue eyeshadow in the bathroom. I love you, mom. You didn't know any better. It's okay. <laughs> I have loved makeup from that moment. So I was really excited when you voted for this episode on Instagram. And we are going to break today's episode into three parts, as we usually do. But instead of going chronologically, we're going to go by category. I thought it would be really confusing to go back and forth between time periods, especially since a lot of these beauty standards and practices we will see over and over again throughout history. And I kind of saw a common thread throughout cultures and time periods. There was always three main focuses, no matter when or where you were in history. These Use, yous always had something to do with teeth, skin, and hair, no matter what. So let's get started with those pearly whites or pearly blacks in this case, because our first not so dangerous but very weird beauty standard is ohaguro or Japanese teeth blackening. Through the discovery of buried bones and haniwa or little clay figures, from the years 250 to about 538 CE in Japan, we see signs of ohaguro, the teeth blackening. Now, these were the first signs of ohaguro, but the tradition continued on until the Edo period, which was from 1603 to 1867. So it was a long one. It lasted for a long time. And it was done only by married women 
unmarried women who were older than 18, sex workers, and geisha. People in rural areas hardly ever did this, and if it was done, it was only for special occasions. Black teeth were strictly for the upper classes and people in big cities. Showing as little facial expression as possible for women was exceedingly attractive during this time. Being coy was like the bee's knees, and a real classy lady would let her fan or her hands do the expressing. Black teeth would help minimize the appearance of emotions, and it was also a sign of maturity as a woman got older. Now, this particular beauty practice and standard wasn't really all that dangerous at all. In fact, it wasn't bad for your teeth, and it was a way to protect them from tooth decay and cavities. However, it was banned in the Meiji era because Japan was modernizing and the Western world thought it was gross and disgusting and thought it was bad for people's teeth. But many other cultures blacken their teeth and still do to this day. People in China, Indonesia, Thailand, and the Pacific Islands, and many, many more. But as fashion is wont to do, trends change based on location. And while black teeth were the it look in Japan, the European Renaissance was all about those pearly whites. Before this episode, I had no idea how messed up the beauty standards were in the Renaissance, and just how sexist they were. So I am for sure going to do an episode about that someday, but let's just focus on the teeth for now. White was the in color for the Renaissance. White skin, white teeth, white hair. (laughs) Okay, not white, but blonde, definitely blonde. Fairness was the way to go. When it came to teeth, if you had any sign of yellowing or tooth decay at all, you were seen as less than because they couldn't afford to keep up their hygiene and, you know, therefore they were very sinful. How dare you be poor? And I'd like to point out very quickly that this was specifically for women. There was a book, and when we do our episode on the Renaissance Uh, beauty standards. We're going to talk about this more in depth, but there was a book that pointed out the 36 things that Renaissance women needed to have in order to be the most beautiful. And it was only their outwardly appearances. The men, they had to be like athletic, but also tall. That's it. Those were like the two things. Can you? Huh? It makes my blood boil. Anyways, I digress. Let's move on. Women and some men would smear acidic mixtures usually containing lead onto their teeth to whiten them, but this actually had the opposite effect, which is a common thread throughout this whole episode. Lead, surprise, surprise, is not good for humans to consume. It has horrible things in it and can cause anemia weakness and kidney and brain damage both things that you need to live you need your brain you need your brain you just you just need it very high lead exposure can cause death in addition to the teeth whitening small little dainty teeth were also considered to be very beautiful on women so women would go to the barber 
and get them shaved down because that's where you could get your teeth whitened and fixed and your ailments cured and your haircut all at the same time. It's a very convenient one-stop shop. So on top of all of the lead poisoning that ladies were filling their mouth with, they were actually causing more damage by filing them down and then putting this toxic like paste on top of them. There was nerve damage, there was enamel damage, and that lead would lead to all sorts of terrible stuff. The desire for white teeth would be the undoing of many a Renaissance woman seeking the Venus de Milo look. As a person who has struggled with acne for like the last six years and continues to, I am really into skincare. The retinols, the lactic acids, the AHAs, the BHAs, the vitamin Cs. I know it all. I love it all. And I can 1,000 bajillion a million percent imagine myself falling victim to these deadly skincare treatments of the past. Heavy air quotes on treatments. For all of history, people have had acne and blemishes, and they've wanted to get rid of said blemishes, whether with creams or medicine or with makeup. The Victorian and the Edwardian eras are particularly deadly times in cosmetic history because of the discovery of a few new chemicals, namely arsenic, mercury, radium, and the not-so-new but highly used lead. Everything from freckles to pimples to moths, which I had no idea was the old-timey word for liver spots. You learn something new every day. (laughs) And basically all unwanted marks on the face fell victim to these toxic concoctions. There was no regulatory system to tell people what was inside of these things. They were putting unknown substances on their skin. There wasn't even an organization to make sure these things were safe for human beings. None whatsoever. There are hundreds of deadly skincare products that I would love to tell you about. But, alas, we do not have that kind of time, my delightful little donut. So, here are three of my favorite... Is that an appropriate word to use? I don't know, but three of my favorite toxic concoctions. Coming in at number three is lead foundation. I love foundation. It covers all manner of things on the face, and when done well, looks amazing. Like we were talking about earlier, people loved the look of women who have never seen the sun. In, in their lives. Melanin, who is she? We don't know her. We like sickly-looking vampire ladies. Great. And sickly they would become, trying to achieve this standard of beauty. Lead powder can come in many colors, but the most popular form was white powder for makeup. They would mix a little bit of lead and vinegar together and smear that sucker all over their face like they were retiling a bathroom floor. And bam, you're on the cover of a Victorian era Vogue. Beautiful, white, like a sheet of paper. But life 
has a deadly sense of humor and a morbidly ironic sense of humor. I said sense of humor twice. Anyways, the prolonged use of lead would literally eat people's faces and discolor the skin. It would turn skin this weird gray-red color, thus leading people to use more of this product, causing even bigger problems. It was a horrible, terrible domino effect. It would also lead to gray hair, dried out skin, severe abdominal pain, and constipation, and sometimes even death if it was used for too long without washing it off. Fortunately or unfortunately, famous people and the monarchy often rule styles. And Queen Victoria was really into this vampire white skin, rosy cheek look. And so everybody else who was of that social standing wanted to have the Queen Victoria look. And thus, a whole generation of women had facial lead poisoning. Coming in hot at number two, a very deadly eye makeup. I love eye makeup, but I would not wear this makeup because I would like to keep my corneas inside my eyeballs. Okay, TK, what the heck are you talking about? Keep my corneas inside my eyeballs. How, how do you get a cornea outside of your eyeball from an eyeshadow? How indeed, my friend, how indeed, let me tell you. You know that great vermilion red color it's gorgeous. It's like an orangey red. It's almost one of my favorite colors, I would say. And it was originally made out of mercury, which is super de-duperty, not good for the body. Ladies would put this red powder or cream on their eyes and lips and cheeks for a bit of color on their corpse-like skin. Absorbing this mercury would cause damage to the brain, lungs, and kidneys. And in worst cases, if it got into your eye, and let me tell you, if you have worn makeup even once in your life, you know that makeup in your eye will happen. It's an everyday occurrence. It can cause freaking your cornea to fall out of your eyeball. Not all, all makeup. I realized my phrasing was weird. Not all makeup, if it gets in your eye, will cause your cornea to fall out. Just this vermilion stuff. But we, it's been outlawed. We don't have it anymore. <laughs> your eyes are fine, I'm sure. <laughs> but if you got this vermilion powder or cream into your eyeball, it would eat away at your eyeball and thus cornea would fall out. Fun. Ugh, the imagery though. And coming in at number one, my favorite, again, weird phrasing, my favorite deadly concoction was radioactive skincare. After Madame Curie discovered radium in 1898, people were using this glowing death juice on everything and in everything. Watches, glow-in-the-dark dresses, glow-in-the-dark hats, makeup, and everything. Flowers, it was all over the place. People were glowing green everywhere. 
And people created entire lines of skincare, especially in France. It was really popular in France. Entire lines of skincare were created where their only active ingredient was radium. It was like radium and some Vaseline or radium and some other cream. WTF, am I right? In 1915, an advertisement for a radio chin strap said of their weird contraption, if placed on the face where the skin has become wrinkled or tired, the radioactive forces immediately take effect on the nerves and tissues. A continuously steady current of energy flows into the skin, and before long, the wrinkles have disappeared. Little did these people know that along with their wrinkles, their skin was actually dying at a cellular level. That's what radium does. It basically explodes your cells and then disintegrates them, and you get ulcers and all sorts of terrible skin lesions. But from creams to powders and even pills for the complexion, radium was in everything, and not so slowly killing off those who sought eternal beauty. We have come to our final category today, my friend, hair. Hair is the one area of beauty that I think fluctuates the most. In Egypt, China, Japan, and Korea, they all wanted dark black hair. Rome, Greece, and Europe went back and forth between dark hair and light hair. And no one hair trend can really describe any other part of the world. I think that's a really cool part of, you know, hair history and hair culture. But I can definitively say that not all hair trends are created equal. For example, lard wigs. If I have learned anything in my many years of studying history, it is that aristocratic high society of the 18th century in Europe is freaking gross. They're disgusting. Hygiene? What is that? Never heard of her. Baths? Gross. Am I a poor? I'll just douse myself in perfume and call it a day like a 13-year-old boy in a school gym locker room. That is aristocratic high society of the 18th century in Europe to a T. The most disgusting trend of all high society trends. The lard wig. This is not a cute nickname. This is a real life... <laughs> wig made of lard. <laughs> I don't know why that's so funny, but but it is. <laughs> so, you know all those fancy pictures you see of like high society ladies like Marie Antoinette with the ridiculously large wigs? The taller and bigger the wig, the closer to the lord, I guess, but these wigs were not just made of hair human or otherwise, nay, nay, my friend. That would have made them far too heavy and un just unmanageable. They were actually hollow and made of wood with the hair draped over the wooden frame to make the style. And <laughs> they were affixed. The hair was affixed to the wooden frame with lard, specifically pig lard. <laughs> 
And you know who likes lard? Vermin. Like rats. They love it. So rats would get up all up in these extremely stinky, might I add, stinky, stinky wig cages and just live there and nibble on the lard and the wood and the hair. Can you imagine? (laughs) I'm just picturing Marie Antoinette, her big old hairstyles and just like a ratatouille like, like, like Remy character living inside of her wig, (laughs) determining all of her, all of her actions. I don't know why that, I don't know why this is getting me so hard. Anyways, rats loved these little hair wig hidey holes. And these high society ladies wouldn't realize that these rats were inside of their wigs until, you know, a few hours into their day or a few hours into their party when they felt something nibbling on their scalp. These wigs became a breeding ground for disease and infection because not only were they heavy, but they were full of rats. Uh, rats that would nibble on them and then transmit their rat diseases to those poor wig wearers. So these fashionistas would then buy wig cages to keep their wigs in when they weren't being used. And (laughs) the imagery is killing me. These big, giant, huge wigs just in cages like they've done something wrong. Like bad wig, go into the cage. Anyways, and did I mention that they smelled like death? Just, it's just not a good time for anybody. So next time you see a picture of Marie Antoinette, just think about her smell. What did she smell like? Anyways, in the complete opposite direction, women in the 1300s in Europe thought that less hair was better and as little body hair as possible. Now, when I was doing my research, I said women thought... In the beginning of the sentence, women women thought less hair was better. But in all honesty, honestly, in all honesty, I really think that this trend was male motivated, as many trends often are. What the male gaze thinks is beautiful, or or sexy, or worthy, or whatever. I have left some more articles written by people who are much smarter than me about this topic in the show notes. So if you want to go read that, please take a look. So back to the hairless women of the 1300s. (laughs) Women would pluck their whole face, not just their eyebrows, and they would use sorts, all sorts of unsavory creams and potions to remove their hair from their bodies, like naked roll mats, (laughs) naked mole rats. Think like 1300s medieval nair hair remover. Not particularly dangerous, just very weird and probably extremely painful. The last beauty standard I'll talk about today is hair color. And before we get started, I I want you to know that the color of your hair does not indicate how well you can do your job or how good or bad of a person you are or any ridiculous thing like that. To quote one of my favorite TikTokers and musicians of all time, 
Heather Chalen. Having colored hair does not make you unprofessional. I can teach the shit out of some second graders with my dark pink hair, okay? But I digress, my dear one. People, and particularly women, have had to put up with ever-changing hair color trends all throughout history. Light hair is beautiful. Dark hair is desirable. Can't have too light hair or, you know, you'll be a whore. You can't have too dark hair or you'll be a whore. If you have curly hair, mm, she's a whore. Oh, you don't have curly hair? Mm, she must be an unsavory lady. Like, literally, there's no winning. There is no winning. So women all throughout history were forced via societal pressure to dye their hair, curl their hair, or straighten their hair. And some of these hair dyes were fine. They were benign but gross. Like how Roman women would pickle and crush leeches and put that paste on their hair to dye it. Or women in Japan and China mixing iron or lamp soot with tar or some sort of liquid for hair dye. But some of these hair dyes were downright deadly, containing arsenic, mercury, lead, bleach, corrosive acids, radium, and all things that would surely cause baldness at best and death at worst. These were all used by women to make their hair fit into whatever style society deemed beautiful and therefore worthy. This is not to mention all of the contraptions that women used in order to achieve the perfect and most beautiful hairstyles. There's one story that I came across of a man who was, he was, try, he was trying to help his wife by creating a machine that would permanently curl her hair because in the Victorian era, that was, uh, excuse me, the Edwardian area, that was what was deemed beautiful, is that curly hair. And he saw his wife struggling, you know, curling her hair all the time, and he wanted to create a machine that would keep the curl for longer. But in the end, he ended up burning his wife's hair off twice. And the machine only lasted for a couple years before it was just disbanded altogether. And I'll, I'll leave a picture of that on Instagram. But countless women lost their lives and their hair because of, you know, things like this. Chasing those trends, chasing those standards, literally killing themselves for beauty. And if you remember anything from this episode, please let it be this. You, in whatever way you are showing up to the world today, whatever you look like right now, however you like to look, is valid and beautiful and handsome and dashing and gorgeous and dapper. And you do not need to change to fit any trend or beauty standard. And you definitely do not need to wear a wig made of lard and filled with rats to be beautiful. We have come to our final thought, my friend. And trigger warning, uh, if you have any fears of eyeballs and needles in close proximity, skip ahead about one minute. Okay, we'll, we'll see you on the other side. So, 
eyelash extensions have been quite trendy as of late, right? Thanks to super cool glue and synthetic hair, we're able to make our lashes look like beautiful, voluptuous caterpillars, and I'm here for it. I love it. But what did people do before the invention of eye-safe materials if they wanted a full set of falsies? Well, I'll tell you what they did, and it is terrifying. But I'll let the journalist Henry Labrochet tell you what happened. The following is an article excerpt from an 1882 magazine called Truth. So here goes. An ordinary fine needle is threaded with a long hair, generally taken from the head of the person to be operated upon. The lower border of the eyelid is then thoroughly cleaned, and in order that the process may be as painless as possible, rubbed with a solution of cocaine. How convenient. The operator, then, by a few skillful touches, runs his needle through the extreme edges of the eyelid between the epidermis and the lower border of the cartilage of the tragus. The needle passes in and out along the edge of the lid, leaving its hair thread in loops of carefully graduated length. Are you kidding me? Nightmare fuel. Literal nightmare fuel. Okay, so, whoa. Sewing your own hair <laughs> to your eyes. What? Who thought of this? At first, historians thought that this, like, false eyelash trend in Britain was, like, not really a, a long-lasting trend. But actually, it continued for about a decade. Women were just getting their hair sewn onto their eyelids. What kind of magical, bizarre world do we live in, my friend? I have never been more thankful for science in my life. Well, my dear sweet friend, that is all I have for you today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode as much as I did. And if you did indeed enjoy it, please leave a rating and a review and tell a friend about For the Love of History. Those are the best ways that you can help an independent podcast like mine. They make me unimaginably happy. And they also help other people find For the Love of History. If you'd like to support the podcast in other ways, you can donate on Patreon or buy me a coffee via Linktree or Good Pods. All proceeds go towards making high-quality podcast episodes like this one, and all those links will be in the show notes. Thank you so much, my friend, and if it weren't for you, I wouldn't be here, so do me a favor and take good care of yourself this week. Drink your water, like right now. Take a sip. I know there's a bottle next to you. Drink it. Take care of you, because I care about you. And I will see you on November 26th for an episode yet to be determined. So head over to Instagram to vote on the next few topics. And I will talk to you then. Okay, bye! Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. <laughs>